peace be with you wherever you are. And I do mean that truly, for it does not always seem very peaceful in the world these days. Is it the underlying uncertainty? Hard to say. It is difficult to plan, difficult to make decisions. Everything seems to be hanging in limbo, the way forward unclear. So to bless one another with peace is a good greeting. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge in Southern Ontario. And here we have entered the third stage in the framework for reopening our province since the COVID-19 pandemic began last winter. The restrictions for interactions are lessening, but, understandably, people are somewhat reluctant to be out and about. Our economic futures can be uncertain, and many of us have not seen our families for some time now, so you may be feeling fragile. And even if things are going well for you, you will be aware that all around you there is unseen and unknown struggle. Walk gently for your own sake and for the sake of all those around you. We continue our stroll through the parables of Jesus, trying to learn from them what this kingdom of heaven is all about. What does it look like? How do we bring it about? What is our part in it, and what is God's part? The divine and the human are both separate and yet intertwined. One does not work without the other. They move in concert. For example, we read the scriptures, we study them, but it is also for us to interpret them, to see how they work in our lives, to test them out, to make them real, to see their value. Otherwise, they are just words on a page and have no meaning in our day-to-day -day lives. Last week, Bruce and I watched an old movie called True Grit. Bruce wanted to watch a Western. I didn't care much what we watched. But the first thing that came up on the screen was a quote from Proverbs, and I thought, oh, this could be interesting. Scripture in a Western. It was Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when none pursueth. And indeed, the main character in whose voice the story is told tosses scripture and theology around frequently, as do other characters, both savory and otherwise. The story centers around Mattie, a young girl of 14, who pursues her father's killer with the help of a rough character called Rooster Cogburn. Mattie wants revenge for the loss of her parent. She wants to bring her father's murderer to justice. In the end, she shoots and kills the man herself. The story is told as if this was a kind of triumph, and at the close of the movie, as you see Maddie as an older woman, unmarried, seemingly unhappy, and hard-hearted, I wondered, for all that she knew of scripture, how her choices left her world smaller, less open, not rich in compassion, but somehow lonely and empty. For all the scripture that was tossed around in the story, 
Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, was not included. Throughout the movie, there was this haunting theme, and we kept saying, What is that song? It is a hymn in a Western? But there it was, running all behind the scenes, and not until the very end did we recognize it as leaning on the everlasting arms. It is a beautiful old traditional melody. But there was a sadness in it somehow, and when you read the lyrics, you can see why. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. And yet, the main characters, Maddie and Rooster, did not have peace or joy or blessedness in their lives. They had scripture, they had knowledge, but no joy. They were not leaning on the everlasting arms, but perhaps leaning too much on their own. And we do that too. Look to ourselves to solve the problems, to pull ourselves up, to bring about wholeness, when it is leaning on the everlasting arms that is needed. Our parables today will remind us that though we may be the sower of seeds and we are also the soil that receives the seeds, it is not we who are in charge of the way things go. We are only in charge of our own personal behavior and response. Perhaps a little more leaning on the everlasting arms would do us all good. Oh 
last week, two remarkable men, C.T. Vivian and John Lewis, died on the same day. They were both devoted Christians in their personal lives and active participants in the American civil rights movement of the last century. Wally and I were chatting about this after our gathering last week at Primrose, which, by the way, was lovely. Wally was pondering how they had the courage to do the remarkable things that they did? What made them risk their lives for a cause that jeopardized their personal well-being? It is an excellent question, which can be partly answered by listening to the thoughts of these two men, which comprise this week's call to worship and are the inspiration behind our prayer. They remind us that it is the deep call of our faith to be willing to walk out past what we know, past what is safe, out into that open field where things might yet be different, where we can not only imagine a world that is better, that is kinder, but that we can bring it into being with our own decisions to act. This is the call of our faith. It is what Jesus and Martin Luther King and countless others have called us to, what we are being continually called to, if we will but listen and be faithful to the calling. Both C.T. Vivian and John Lewis were awarded the highest honor in their country, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Freedom is what we all want. Freedom from worry, freedom from fear, freedom from being someone other than who we were born to be. Reverend C.T. Vivian, as a young man, took part in sit-ins and demonstrations as far back as 1947, seeing in the discrimination of black people a clear dishonoring of his Christian faith of birth. He was part of the Freedom Front Riders, activists who rode the interstate buses in the segregated southern United States in the early 60s. It had been ruled that buses were not to be segregated, but this ruling was being ignored. The Freedom Riders were often brutalized and beaten for their interference, as was Reverend Vivian. A Baptist minister, he spent the rest of his life, 95 years altogether, preaching, teaching, and living out his life of faith in actively creating numerous civil rights organizations. John Lewis was also a freedom fighter, 
and also an ordained Baptist minister, though he ended up devoting all his life to politics. Both men studied theology at the American Baptist College in Nashville, Tennessee, and their activism was an extension of their faith. In a wonderful TED Talk interview, which I have posted on our website, and I would really encourage you to watch, Lewis explains, Growing up, wanting to be a minister, I felt that what Martin Luther King was saying in his speeches was in keeping with the teachings of Jesus, so I readily accepted this idea of nonviolence. The philosophy and discipline of nonviolence taught us to respect the dignity and the worth of every human being and never to give up on anyone but to try and reach them with kindness and hope and faith and love. Surrounded by people who hated him and were wanting to do violence, Lewis explains, he was taught by King who learned from Jesus and from Gandhi about nonviolence. He was taught to accept that people would hate what they were doing, but that they were to love because that was in keeping with their Christian faith, to love everybody, never to hate, because hate was too heavy a burden to bear. I wondered as I watched John Lewis talk in this way, if Maddie Ross, with her determination and self-righteousness, had been so taught, if her story might have ended differently. So here is our call to worship from John Lewis and our prayer, inspired by the work of both these men in words and in music, and also by the writer of Proverbs 3, 5, 6, who instructed us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and God will make straight your path. Anchor the eternity of love in your own soul and embed this planet with goodness. Lean toward the whispers of your own heart. Discover the universal truth and follow its dictates. Release the need to hate, to harbor division, and the enticement of revenge. Release all bitterness. Hold only love, only peace in your heart, knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. Choose confrontation wisely, but when it is your time, don't be afraid to stand up, speak up, and speak out against injustice. And if you follow your truth down the road to peace and the affirmation of love, if you shine like a beacon for all to see, 
then the poetry of all the great dreamers and philosophers is yours to manifest in a nation, a world community, a beloved community that is finally at peace with itself. Let us pray. Gracious one, so ready, so willing to guide us, to lead us, to instruct us in the ways of love, let us not lean on our own understanding, making our way down the wrong pathways, wandering from the straight and clear path of love. You're a constant, merciful, always desirous of our homecoming, always welcoming, always encouraging. It is we who falter. It is we who leave our true home, our true humanity, our true goodness, and find ourselves living lives less honorable than they could be, far from home. We ask for small encouragements that only you can give to lead us to places of courage and honor that we might be worthy co-workers with you, bringing heaven here to earth in small and constant ways. We thank you for the person of Jesus of Nazareth who embodied so perfectly the divine and the human so that we might have a model to follow in all things. We pray in his name. Amen. Turbulent water 
turn to the two short parables we will be reflecting upon, I wanted to read another scripture from the book of Romans, chapter 8. The epistle of Romans, or letter to the Romans, was written by Paul the Apostle. He had intended to visit Rome on his way to teach and preach in Spain, a trip he never actually made. He wrote and sent his letter to the Romans as a way of introduction. It is the longest of all the epistles in the New Testament, and also perhaps the densest in terms of theology. Paul was really straining to get his thoughts down on paper, but his ardor, his deep appreciation of the gifts of grace he had been given, are evident in every word. Here he writes with clarity about the constancy of God. Romans 8, 31-39 What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first of our little parables today is a continuation of our agricultural teachings from last week concerning the planting of seeds and the mustard shrub as ways of trying to imagine the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Here Jesus offers up another little word picture to help us understand what is to be our contribution and what is not ours to control. We continually have difficulty with this, attempting to do God's work, which is not our business and which we fail miserably at, and neglecting our own work. We need constant correction in this area, and these two little parables will help us with that confusion. The parable of the wheat and tares, Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through to 30. 
Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go out and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And from verse 33 of the same chapter, Matthew includes this very short parable, also found in the book of Luke. The parable of the yeast. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. So, for clarity, tares are a kind of vetch, a weed that looks remarkably like wheat when it is growing, and so it is hard to distinguish between the intended crop and that which will not yield flour for bread. So note, first of all, that when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, he then always tells stories of people going about their ordinary business. This is important because he does not say that the kingdom of heaven is like a solitary thing. He says that it is like, and then he tells a story of people on earth doing things. And this is how he describes what is rather beyond description, For it is an imagining, a dreaming, a hope, a desire, a wonder. And in this story, this narrative, we have a person sowing good seed, which is to say, good deeds, good thoughts, a right heart, a desire to serve others, the many ways in which we can offer up to this world an invitation into a more peaceful and joyful existence. But just as the good seeds are being sown, so too are evil intents being sown, are dark thoughts being offered up. And these are the tares that grow alongside the wheat. This is one of the reasons that those who wish to offer goodness in this world are counseled to be careful of what comes into your home, your mind, your viewing, your hearing. For dark thoughts and evil intent is ubiquitous all around us, on our televisions, our computers, in the local coffee shop, and we must weed out those thoughts. The workers inquire as to whether the tares should be taken out, ripped up as so not to interfere with the growing of the wheat. But they are told that the tares are to be left alone, For it may be that in tearing out the weeds, some of the good plants are removed. Anyone who has weeded a garden knows how easily this is done. 
If you are not paying very careful attention, it is easy to uproot plants you intend to keep and to even oversee those that are clearly not helping the cause. The implication from this is simple. It is up to God to decide who is living in a rightful way and who is not. From the book of Romans, again, Paul writes, reflecting his thoughts on God, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. We are not to be doing the deciding. We are not to take vengeance or criticism or judgment into our own hands. We are to plant the good seed, to tend the good seed within ourselves and encouraging it in others. But the final decision about evil and how it will be punished and dealt with is not ours. We are not to decide what is right and what is wrong in the larger scheme, what is wheat and what is tare, but only what comes to us as it comes, and then only prayerfully and carefully and with God's guidance do we move to make correction within ourselves first and then in the world. This does not mean at all that we are not to try and right wrongs, as John Lewis and C.T. Vivian did, Their work was significant and an inspiration to all of us. But it does mean that we are to concentrate while we are bringing the kingdom of God into being on the good deeds, on love, on grace, on mercy, and to leave anger and vengeance to God. For as Lewis claims, hate is too big a burden to bear, and so it is. We leave that to the larger heart of the world. And then we have a woman baking bread. The kingdom of God is like a little yeast, a small little bit of nothing seemingly, but still, when put into flour, offers up very real sustenance and a great volume that is activated by such a small addition. The kingdom of God is like that too. We plant the seeds, we add yeast to the flour and bake bread. How the harvest goes is not our concern. Who eats the bread and how many loaves come from the yeasted mix, not our concern either. The heart of this kingdom of God, I think, comes in quite a simple form. Thank you, yes, and amen. The world Jesus is leading us to is a world where our first response is yes and. Not no but or no because, but yes and. It is a world not of duality but of complexity and nuance, which is why we are not fully equipped to judge it that is best left to God. This was Dag Hammerskold's prayer, written in his daily journal. For all that has been, thanks, exclamation mark. For all that will be, yes, exclamation mark, and amen. Dag Hammerskold wrote this affirmation in January of 1953, 
a few months after becoming the second Secretary General for the eight-year-old United Nations. He wrote it as the world was still recovering from the devastation of World War II and as new wars had broken out from Korea to the Middle East, from Africa to South America. He wrote it in the midst of an uneven landscape in the world, when the powers that be were trying to discover who had a place in the world and who did not, who held the power and who would not have power. He wrote it even as he got on a plane that would lead to his death to travel to a troubled part of Africa where violence was erupting and he felt he might bring a calming presence. Always, no matter what was going on in the world, he did what he could and with humility. He responded with a heart tethered to God. Yes, he exclaimed, and. Yes, we have the law, and we have the spirit. Yes, we have death, and we have life, even in our dying and even in our death. Life and death are not separate issues, but a continuance one from the other. Yes, we have division and discord, and we have community too, and ways of working through that division. Yes, the poor will always be with us, and we are to embrace them and find ways to serve without judgment. Yes, we will not be the best disciples, and we will still be welcomed into God's arms on death. Yes, we can love Jesus, and we can allow others to love and follow those who lead them to a richer, fuller spiritual life. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God for us, and that does not have to be true for other people. Yes, we want the kingdom of heaven here on earth, and we will also find it after we die as well. Yes, we can be Catholic, and we can learn from Protestant theology. Yes, we can be Protestant, and we can learn from Catholic spirituality. Yes, we can sow good seed, and others will sow what may or may not be good seed, and that is not our concern. Only that we extend love to all people. Yes, we can add yeast to the conversation, to our daily walk and our daily talk, and what happens there, what good loaves of bread go out into the world, is not our concern, and we carry on with our way of love. Yes, we can be individuals with our unique gifts and offerings, and we can walk humbly with our God. I am weak, but thou art.
strong Jesus keep me from all wrong I'll be satisfied as long As I walk Let me walk Close to thee spiritual practice for this week is a continuation of practicing awareness and particularly the awareness of what is our concern and what is not. What are you to do 
What might you best leave to the divine spirit to sort through? We are going to close with one of my favorite prayers, the wondrous prayer of St. Francis, not written by him, but written with his spirit and mind and also his humility. There is clear instruction about what is our work, and then the last part of the prayer asks us to be learners, to stand in a place of humility and be taught by God. Hear this prayer and pray it together with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And we close with a traditional old country classic that I have included especially for Jeff, who is currently pondering how we can work through this idea of the kingdom of heaven coming after life and still being part of this life. And to that I would say, yes, and. Yes, the kingdom of heaven is to be welcomed into this world of the living, even as we have our feet firmly on the ground, and we can look forward to its perfection, its peacefulness and grace and mercy in our dying. May the love of God, which is beyond all, our understanding be with you. May the grace and compassion that thrived in the heart of Jesus be in your heart also. And may the fellowship and the guidance of the Holy Spirit that moves and breathes and has its being among us also be with you. And may you lean on the everlasting arms this day and all day until your last day when you are gathered into the warm embrace. Life is like a mountain railroad With an engineer that's brave We must make the run successful From the cradle to the grave Watch the curves And hills and valleys Never falter Never fail Keep your hands Upon the throttle And your eyes Upon the rail Blessed Savior Thou will guide us Till we reach That blissful shore
Praise forevermore In God's praise 